2 Kings 5. 2 Kings 5. Let me ask you a question as I read this. As I read this story, just think about this. What is so sensational about this story? We often focus on the sensational. Wow, that was sensational. That was spectacular. What is spectacular about this story? I'm going to pinpoint three specific things, and we're going to focus on those as our points of application. Really, the the first one we're going to give more time to. But as we read this story, what is sensational? I find three sensational changes. Okay? So let's walk through this. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Kings 5. The text is in front of you. I'm going to read it in a a little more uh, modern translation than even the New American Standard as we try to just paint the picture in front of you. Okay? All right, here we go. What is spectacular about this story? The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But, through Na- but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Okay, that sounds good. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gift 750 pounds of silver. 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Tall order there. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes in dismay. He said, This man sends me a letter to heal him? Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. The king is mourning. He's scared. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horse and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to this very powerful figure. He said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out like Benny Hinn to meet me. I expected him to wave his hands over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord as God. Something spectacular, sensational. And his God would heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and... Far, far better than any of the rivers of Israel. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away in a rage. His officials tried to reason with him. said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So should you certainly obey when he says simply go, wash, and be cured? 
And he mulls it over. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's. He was healed. Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. What does Elisha do? No, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. Though Naaman urged him to take the gifts, Elisha refused. All right, so this is where Moody's story ends, but (laughs) we have our little children's pictures. But it doesn't end there, does it? Uh, Naaman said, all right, please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Rimon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot, went to meet him. Is everything all right? Yes, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like mm, 75 pounds of silver, two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave two sets of clothing, tied up the money in bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts to Gehazi. When they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the man back, and he hid them in his house. Elisha comes to him. Where have you been, Gehazi? Well, I haven't been anywhere. Don't you realize that I was there in spirit? When Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you, Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves, vineyards, sheep, cattle, male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy, and his skin was as white as snow. What a story! So many fascinating characters. Ten different characters are given in this story. I think three sensational changes that God makes from this story. And they're not the ones that are on the surface. They're not the ones that jump out at you, but these are the real changes that God makes even to this day that we need to focus on. A forgiven witness, God's power to change a bitter heart. A foreign worshiper, God's power to change an idolatrous heart. And a fallen worker, God's power to change a greedy heart. We're going to really give time to that first one. That's our theme for today. Uh, we're going to really give time to that first one. But I really want to, I just, I do want to touch on the other two as well because they're both very instructive in God's power and what he does in our lives. Well, 
this is where we are in this study. We've just jumped into First and Second Kings here. Okay, so you have the the library book that's in your Bible. You open your Bible, sixty-six different books. Right, the Old Testament is filled with the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. New Testament, the Gospels, the History Book, all these little letters, and the Book of Prophecy. Okay. The writings, this is the biggest chunk of the Old Testament. You have a lot of history books that are just narrative. They, sh- they tell the story of Israel's history. We've been looking a lot at David's life. That is First and Second Samuel. First and Second Samuel be Saul and David. Samuel too. First and Second Kings really starts at David's death and jumps through the rest of the kings. First and Second Chronicles tells that whole story. Again, I'm not going to go into all the details, but a different time period when Israel needs to be told something different. But this is this First and Second Kings, and it's been a while since we looked at this, but we did look at this whole book together. Um, I'm not going to take time to go through it all, but uh, just to focus where we are, not just in the Bible, but in this book of First and Second Kings, you have all these characters coming together. Um, it's, it's at a time, actually, you can divide it into five, First and Second Kings are divided into five sections. Solomon, right, I would summarize it this way, Solomon, the possibility, uh, wise kings versus wives king. Jeroboam comes after Solomon, and he's the problem. And you find throughout First and Second Kings, everybody follows his wicked example, worship versus apostasy. Then Elijah the prophet is this third section of 1 Kings. Ahab's wickedness versus Elijah's way. Okay? And that really finishes 1 Kings. Ahab was a very wicked king. Followed his wife into idolatry. And that's probably as, as Ahab is done, and, and you find this great apostasy in Israel sliding into that. No, they, they were wicked already these northern kings of Israel, northern king, kingdom of Israel. This is when Elisha comes on the scene. Elijah has warned Ahab. Elisha has ter- taken Elijah's place. And so we have this Elisha the protege, God's word versus man's warriors. And a lot of times you find that with Elisha. He's, he's going up against kings and commanders and judges. Okay? Uh, so you have this, really, Elisha from 2 Kings chapter 1, chapter 13, and then God punishes Israel uh, and Judah as we find them continuing in disobedience, wandering away from the word of the Lord through prophets like Elisha. But in chapter 5, we're not told everyone there. We're told, uh, it, it keeps telling about the king of Israel, keeps talking about the king of Aram, we're going to get to that in just a second, but they're not even named. It's probably Jehoram, probably after King Ahab, uh, if you know some of these characters, that will help you. Um, but it's just in a, in a kind of an odd period in Israel, not an odd period, but a transition period going from wickedness, but all, not all the way to, to godliness for sure. Uh, and you have Elisha calling them to repentance. But you have some military failures, because God is trying to wake them up. And in one of those corrections, God allows foreign armies to come and raid. And that is the setting and backdrop of our beautiful picture here. So, let's start with this forgiven witness, God's power to change a bitter heart. And I really pray that you'll just get this lesson. This is such a freeing lesson. 
And if you'll grab a hold of this, it will save you years of misery. This is, a, this is one of the most important lessons you need to learn as a Christian, okay? Um, and so I pray that God will, will really minister this truth to your soul. All right, a forgiven witness. God's power to change a bitter heart. Let's take a look at this. First person is this little girl. Uh, I would love to call her Danielle or, or Daniela. I don't know. We don't know her name. This is another person, amazing person. I want to meet in heaven, but we do not know her name. What an example she is. Very similar to Daniel because she lives a, an example of faith over fear, faith over bitterness in light of forgiveness. So, first of all, we find that life becomes very bitter for this little girl. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but a leper. Now, the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. All right, we read that, and we keep reading in our Bible reading, and we just let that go. Did that hit you at all? If we were reading that for the first time, and we were living in that time period, we would be dumbfounded. This is amazing what this girl has just done. This little girl's life becomes very bitter. I think the author is contrasting these two characters in the way he develops and describes them. So let's take a moment with that, okay? Naaman, this commander of Damascus, Aram, Arameans, uh, and then this little servant girl that I'll call Daniela, or Danielle, I don't know. Let's contrast them. Naaman, first of all, captain of the host of Syria, this very powerful army that God is using to come down and punish the northern tribes of Israel. He's the captain of the host. Okay, So this would be Damascus, Syria, the Arameans, right here. Um, coming down and taking little spots in Israel, raiding them. Uh, just north... Uh, coming down now, the, this is, gets confusing because this is the Syrians and the Assyrians are going to come and take Syria and actually destroy all of the northern Israel tribes in 700, 786, is it? 586 and 720-something. Anyway, uh, captain of the host of Syria, a great man with his king. Uh, he's not just a captain of the army, he is a great man. Uh, he is prominent in all the trappings that comes with that. We don't see much of that in our culture, right? We have generals, and they're prominent, but this military figure would be given whatever they want, have full sway, kind of like Daniel did. Um, very proud, wealthy, entitled, respected, strong, But there's this problem. What, what is his problem? He has leprosy. Leprosy. Now it does seem as though, and we're not told a lot about this, but they treated leprosy differently uh, 
uh, the Arameans than Israel because he was able to continue. He wasn't doing it by Skype. Um, it wasn't this, um, right, in his office, he probably did connect with people still. Uh, so perhaps it wasn't as bad. Uh, what we find with Hansen's disease now uh, was called leprosy. It's probably a Hebrew term that covered a lot of different diseases. Um, and so we're not sure exactly where he was on that spectrum, but it was considered to be fatal. And so he's in a condition that is fatal, even though very prominent. He's like, I've got to live it up while I can live, because I'm going to die soon. Great man with his king, a leper. There's one other thing we're told about him, which we cannot pass up. What does it tell us about him as a warrior? He's honored. He's a victor. But how why is he a victor? The Lord had given him victory. His, his victory, his success, was because of the Lord. The Lord had strengthened him, had brought him to prominence. There's a lot we could read into that, and I'm not going to get into those things, but we do know after this is all said and done, this kingdom goes downhill. Um, and, and so it's just fascinating. So let's contrast that with the servant. This little girl, she's not the captain of the host of Syria. She's a little Israelite. She's a captive slave. Slave of the wife of Naaman. She's not his slave. She's a slave of his wife. She is a little girl. The antonym to what the word that's describing the great man Naaman is this little insignificant young girl. How was she a slave? says, the Arameans, verse 2, had gone in bands and had taken captive. What does that mean? This is, this is like pirates. They come and they, they come into a village and they kill everybody, they rape, they pillage. This man or his kingdom probably killed her parents in front of her as a child. They would save the young, beautiful ones, the young, talented ones. They would bring them back as property. This is what happened to her. Parents murdered, slaughtered, everything she held dear destroyed. Brought back as property to be held to clean out the latrine for this man's wife. How does that sit with you? She is a special young lady because she is healed on the inside. She is changed on the inside as someone who knows who God is. All right, put yourself in her condition. What are you going to do with this man? Are you going to kill him? Literally, are you going to kill him? You see him sleeping at night, he has a sword. He has killed your family, taken from you all that you hold dear. What is your life worth? You're ready to take him down. But he has leprosy. He's going to die soon. What's your spirit about that? Serves you right, Naaman. 
wicked, godless, idol worshiper, killed my family, took me away from everything I held dear, I'm going to let you rot. Is that your heart? Are you ready to see this man dying? Are you getting joy from seeing the disease take over his body? That is the heart of bitterness. Enjoying the rot. Seeking retribution. What would you do? I mean, maybe you wouldn't kill him, but would you at least let him die? We see the spirit of Jesus in this young lady. Perhaps when you were a child, you had someone speak negatively about you, and you still remember that today. Perhaps as a child, you were misused or abused. Perhaps some of you, you actually had someone invade your land, and you had to leave everything that you held dear and come here to New York City because of that. Many of you are here in that condition. What does this lady do? What might we expect? We might expect her to pick out a dagger. But instead, she, she loves him. Can you believe that? She loves him. She doesn't kill him. She's kind to him. She, listen to her and to her, talking to her mistress. I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Wow, what a pure heart. What a beautiful young lady. This is a special, changed person. This is the heart of a Christian. This is the heart that is able to look on those who are spearing you to death and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is a changed individual. What an amazing heart change. This is what's sensational about this story. Leprosy is so skin deep. The heart change to look at someone who killed your family and say, I love you and I want you to be healed is an amazing lesson. And so this is our life lesson. God's great hand can cause you to triumph over bitterness through forgiveness. And many of you have been hurt very, very deeply. And, and I would just say perhaps that bitterness still grasps a hold of you like a root springing up into a vine that it, that it chokes your heart. And you cannot enjoy anything in life. The Lord Jesus would encourage you to chop that root, dig it up, and be rid of it. And let me encourage you by the power of God to forgive and release. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no bitterness, root of bitterness, springing up causes trouble and many be defiled. Right, there's this mistreatment and, and, and you can't let it go and resentment and then that turns into bitterness. 
It's like a root that grows. Respectable sins, Jerry Bridges defines it this way. I don't know that he puts it together in this logical progression, but I think it is helpful as he goes through the different roots of anger. And we, we say these aren't big sins, but they are just as bad as the other sins that we would list because they, they so dominate us. So you have this wrong or perceived wrong that happens. Instead of dealing with it then, it's untreated, it becomes resentment. You start resenting that. Left untreated, becomes bitterness or a grudge, and then you continue to stew over that. And you can't let it go, and it's in there, and it's in there, and it's in there. And then if untreated, that becomes enmity, hostility, and strife. But it starts at that perceived wrong. All along the way, it can be stopped. It can be stopped, first of all, when we don't wrong one another, right? If there's no Arameans robbing and pillaging, then, then there's no forgiveness of Arameans. But there are, some people are just so blunt, they're so dull that they just can't recognize that what they're saying is harmful or doing is harmful. Right? Or perhaps we can become so sensitive that their joke just hits us the wrong way. You're going to say that about my kid? Are you sure? You, you, did you just say that about my kid? And then that just, instead of dealing with it, you just let it, let it stay, let it stay, let it stay. A year later, you're still thinking about that with that person. That, that's the bitterness root. So, I just give a few different ways to chop that down. Uh, first, the, the big thing is you have to release that person. Release that person. Now, it may be that they've done something seriously wrong to your family or yourself. That doesn't mean you, you say, hey, I realize you did this and I welcome you back to do it again. Right? There, there, you may need to make some boundaries so this person can't harm that loved one again. Um, but in your heart, you get to the point, I just release them. Lord Jesus, help me to release them. Give me grace to release them. And it's so freeing. You tear up that root. You're released and you sing praise to Jesus. And your heart is free. It's amazing what happens when you forgive. You release them. And then you leave the vengeance to God. You're not hurting them by holding that grudge. When you release them and you say, God, this was mistreatment. I've approached them about it and they still will not deal with it. And so I leave that vengeance to you. I release them. By your grace, I feel no ill will to them. I move forward. And you're the judge of all. And then by God's grace, especially if it's in a church relationship, you restore a brother or sister in that brother-sister relationship. Can you love them? This doesn't mean every time you see them you are overwhelmed with... Sometimes, again, we define love the wrong way. Love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, infatuation. Love is choosing to do what's best for that person. It's choosing to tell them that the prophet can heal their leprosy, whether you feel like doing it or not. Can you pray for them? Can you encourage them? Those are three good questions to see if you're still in a brother-sister relationship. doesn't mean you have to go out every Wednesday night and party, uh, but you're still a brother-sister able to love them.
That is the, the root of bitterness being removed. And we find in this beautiful young lady a great example of no hostility, but forgiveness and peace. What would you do? Let me encourage you to follow this example, this sensational example, and, and, and honor the Lord in releasing that person. And what's really neat is it will free you. It's so, so beautiful. And when we're done here, I'm going to just summarize these last two very quickly. But when we're done here, I'm going to give just a moment of quiet for you to be able to do that in your heart and find the joy that comes from releasing. It doesn't end there, though, right? The story doesn't end there. She's a great example. I'm just going to read this. There's this, it continues on, and we find another sensational example of how God can change us. These are three powerful, powerful examples. Things that trap us. First of all, bitterness. Secondly, idolatry. Wanting to serve self, anything other than God. We find this very powerful idolater, so proud, he has no reason to bow the knee to Jehovah God. And God puts a little slave in his court to change his heart. Amazing story. So the king of Aram said, Go now, send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and said, All right, ask him, to heal you, and I'm going to give 6,000 shekels and 10 changes of clothing. We, again, we, we read that, and I wish the translators would tell you how much it is, but I realize there's inflation, so like what, what was you know, 6,000 shekels of gold in 2012 is not the same as 2022, so I just looked this up, and the most consistent figure I found was $750 million. Okay. So before you throw Gehazi under the bus, again, what would you do? Um, $750 million. It's amazing what people will do for half a million. This is, a, this is wealth of a king. This guy loves Naaman. And, and, and when Jehoram or whoever the king of Israel is, he sees this, he's like, he's just picking a fight with me. Right? This is an impressive, impossible request. He's like, he just wants to go to war. I can't heal his commander. He wants to have war. But... Elisha hears and he says, listen, send him to me. God can heal him. And then we find this beautiful story is the proud Naaman will not bow the knee, right? And so he's still proud. I'm not going to... He just wants to make fun of me. Making me go to this, this dirty stream. Like we think of the Jordan River as being this beautiful, huge... You know, there's a lot of places. It's just an ugly mud hole. Go down there and wash. This would be very similar to the baptism of, uh, of, the, of, of Jesus. They would go down to the Jordan River, dip themselves down, come back up. Like, go baptize yourself. Immerse yourself in there. And the seventh time you go down, come up, you'll be as clean as you can be. Your leprosy will be gone. Is he going to believe or not? Gets angry, proud, leaves and then again, God uses this soldiers. Why, why, are you, why don't you at least try? And so we find Naaman bows the knee to God and God heals him. And the amazing thing, though, this is the sensational thing. Yes, he cures his leprosy, but that's not the sensational thing. And this is the point, I think, of the text. The big point is, it's not Benny Hinn. I, I really get tired of people sensationalizing things. As if the most important things going on in the book of Acts are when someone's healed. 
The most important things in the book of Acts is when Saul becomes Paul. The heart change is the sensational thing. God can take a group of people from Queens and turn them from bitter people into loving, forgiving people. That's sensational. Reading the founder of the charismatic movement, Wimber, and he's talking about in an interview, uh, I just wanted to see the stuff of Acts, the the, the people speaking in foreign languages they'd never learned, or the, the healing of the, of the raising of the dead, where do we see that? As if that's the sensational stuff. That's not the sensational stuff. God does that. He heals people in answer to prayer in our church all the time. The sensational stuff is when we turn from our sin, trust in Jesus, and He makes this new person, makes us like Christ. And this is what we find here. The sensational thing is He's, I believe in the God of Israel. God took this proud, wicked man. Right? And this is why I still pray for the proud, wicked politicians of the world. Because I know God can put a little girl in their midst that sends them to their knees. We just need to pray and be willing to be that little girl. And so he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to go into worship and I just want you to know I will only worship the Lord God this proud man becomes a faithful worshiper of Yahweh. Unbelievable. Sensational. Evangelism exists because worship does not. This is why we're here in Queens, because Jesus needs to be worshipped by every self-sufficient, proud person in all of Queens. You're either worshipping Jesus or you're worshipping an idol. So God's great hand can reach down and humble and cleanse anyone. It's not the leprosy. God sometimes allows us to die of leprosy to the glory of His name. The sensational thing is someone who will worship Jesus in good and bad and whether you're pillaged or not. Naaman himself is worshiping God. And then the last thing. Another huge, huge grip a fallen worker, God's power to change a greedy heart. This is another one of those things. Again, we don't really talk about it, but it is the sensational change that God can make in a life. There's the positive example in verses 15 and 16 when Naaman returns to Elisha, this little bald man, has very little his whole life, and he says, listen, let me give you $750 million dollars. What are you going to do? I tell you what, I'm going to build a huge building at Grace Baptist Church. But I guess God had told him not to take it. He didn't want to take any of this idol worshiper's money. I think this is it. He wanted to make sure he knew that, that God was in control. And, and he, he, his heart was for God. God takes care of me. I don't need your money. I don't need your stuff. And so he sends him packing. Wow! That is a positive example. Gehazi's in the back and he's listening to that and he's doing some numbers. Oh man, what a temptation. What a temptation. I just gotta, like I realize that my master wants it this way, but you know what? Maybe just a little bit. Maybe just 75 million. And so he tricks him responds to the temptation and, and right by inflation it's maybe closer to a billion now 
temptation and the trick is, okay, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to get this stuff, and I'm going to hide it. But God doesn't let him get away with it. Uh, God punishes him. And the leprosy of Naaman turns into the leprosy uh, that sticks to Gehazi. It spreads to his family. The sins of the father at times are that which would spread to the children as they see the bad example. And it does warn us all. Again, this is one of those cases that there's very few things that show where our heart is than our treasure, our money. God's great hand can do even this. Change a heart of greed into a heart of giving. Can change a Gehazi into an Elisha. It's unbelievable when he does it. And it really shows his glory. All three of these, all three of these are amazing, sensational changes that only God can do to his glory. He changes the bitter to the brighter, the idolater to the worshiper, the greedy to the generous. And it's the sensational work of God himself by the work of his spirit in all of our hearts since the beginning of time. Heads bowed and eyes closed. There's three areas that we need to pray about. And I would just say this. All of us, as we hear God's word preached, the spirit works in all of us, and I need to be convicted and changed in all three of these areas. And so this is why we don't have a come forward invitation at our church, because every time the word of God is preached, all of us need to come forward. Okay? So, so we all bow our heads, and that's you coming forward to Jesus himself and saying, Lord Jesus, show me where I need to change in very specific ways when it comes to being a worshiper of you, seeing you as you are, generous to others with my time, talents, and treasure. Or I think specific one that really hit me this week was that idea of bitterness. Is there someone in your heart that you need to release Would you find victory at the cross and recognize that Jesus forgave his crucifiers and his strength can give you grace to forgive too? And so in this closing few moments of prayer, I'll be standing in the back lobby, be happy to pray with anyone who needs counsel or wants to pray with someone. But I feel like all of us need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, deal with me. Come to the gospel. Believe that the gospel is true, that Jesus can cleanse us from all these sins but also that he gives us strength to live out his commands, okay? So let's spend time worshiping the Lord in that way. In a moment, Pastor Andrew will close us in prayer.